along to episode eight of the Patriot Game. Today we welcome a folk and roll supergroup, a fusion of Irish trad, punk rock and Antifa anthems. Deliver a culmination of cultural heritage, immigration and class struggle. The streets of the Gallagate to the St. Paul district, ladies and gentlemen, the Wakes. Welcome along. How are you getting on, boys? Good, thanks. Thanks for having us. Yes, mate. Thanks, thanks for inviting us on the show. How's, uh, how's the last year been? No gigging, no touring? Are you staying sane or are you just itching to get back to doing what you do best? Well, I've, I've told the boys already, Paul, so you can tell them how you've got on this year and then I'll, I'll do a brief <laughs> recap. <laughs> It's been very little happening at all. We've, we've tried to do a wee bit. I'd, I'd love to go back out playing soon, but just the kind of reality is that there's been a lot of uh, visits to parks with my, my kids and <laughs> and wee things in the house with the wife and, and uh, a DIY and some painting and drawing. And uh, you know, it's been a, a, an interesting year, but yes, definitely very much looking forward to going back out and playing some music again. At least the football's been good, though, anyway. <laughs> I know. It's been a, a, a shanner of a year. And <laughs> Paul are having a great season. Yes, they are. Uh, yeah, I'll yeah. quite enjoy actually uh, not having that end of year uh, wait for the relegation battle <laughs> to take place because had you only had a good uh, first half of the season, we'd have been well up for the championship because we've been in great form, particularly since January. I think Timo Schultz is doing an excellent job. Definitely. Um, just going back to the start. Uh, previously Murphy's Law and in the 2007 The Wakes were created um, your first album that, only my opinion I, I still think was your best work these hands what was um, what was the thinking behind that lads? The thinking behind the actual album or the thinking yeah, behind yeah, yeah. The, 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 the choice of songs? I, I, I bet, I yeah it. just a bit of both the, um, creating something a wee bit different doing these hands but the, um, what, what was the sort of what was the general thinking behind the creation of the band but also then the album and being setting the stall out for the start? Well, we'd, we'd been kind of playing together for a while, Chris, hadn't we? And we just kind of started to add other musicians to the band. There was me, Chris, Joe, and then my brother joined, McGinty joined, and drums, Piro came. But why did, when did we start thinking seriously about recording an album? Was It was quite early on, but wasn't it? We hadn't actually I, been called the Wakes that long. Do you, know, do you remember we went to the, the rehearsal? Uh, we went to Berkeley. You remember that time in... Uh, mm-hmm. Joe was on bass uh, and he there was an electric guitar there for some reason remember and Joe was playing like was, was like Foggy Joe on the electric guitar but it was like, like remember the Young Dubliners kind of version it was that kind of rocky and I remember that night in particular as I'm going this is good this is a good sound this is something a wee bit different from, and for me personally Paul's got maybe, maybe different we've all got different ideas for like different influences in terms of what we were into and stuff but for me it was like I play saxophone as well, so it was bands like Moving Hearts and, you know, like kind of Christy Moore's kind of group and, yeah. and listen to that, and it was a wee bit different, it was trad, but there was like saxophones, there was kind of like distorted guitars and, and different effects, and you know, and, and that just interested me, you know, and, and obviously I like I like all the kind of like Irish music and stuff when I was growing up as well, but for me that was and that was the kind of direction I thought it'd be good, in, especially in the Glasgow scene, because I, I, I didn't really know other bands doing that as such, and I, and I know that, I mean, Erog and stuff had an electric guitar which was playing the lead lines and stuff like that but in terms of actually having like like a sound like people that influenced us uh, like the Pogues uh, I say the Clash different people like that you know it was like kind of so it was a, a lot of different influences come together but I remember that night in Berkeley and, and being there enjoying the electric guitar I thought this is I, li- I like the sound of this you know and, and Paul's a great 
songwriter as well. And I think the first time we heard Paul, some of Paul's own material, and, and he'd, he'd run ideas by us, you know, and it was like these hands and stuff. And uh, and, I was, and it was just like, this is what we want to be doing. We want to be putting out new material and stuff. But how about yourself, Paul? Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think now that I'm thinking back, it would have been about this time in 2007 that we'd have started actually thinking about the album, but then really kind of midway through 2007, about March or, or April time, Joe turned around and he said, I'm moving to Spain, lads. And at the time, he was he was the guy that was operating all the recording equipment, and we went, well, we still <laughs> want to do the album. And he was only going to go for a while, but we, we'd started doing we did one song and we recorded um, Thousands of Sailing, and then eventually, because we didn't want to do a full-on live album, because we wanted to have much more of the kind of instrumentation and things that you were talking about there, Chris. But then whenever we realised Joe was going, we thought, well, we better do something quick. So that's why half it was recorded live. And then the other half was recorded, like, at, at my mum and dad's house when they were in they were in holiday. We recorded that's it right. in, the, in the, the garage. And that's that's whenever we... We'd also said there's other stuff that we we had there, but we couldn't really start to... Um, we couldn't really start to record that properly because at the time we were thinking uh, we haven't had the chance, but the next album we'll do that. So like Southside Paddy and all that, had to wait that that while. So yeah. we wanted to do something something different as well, but then just I think it was just all, all of a sudden the album came together really really quickly. Um, didn't it? There was, there was a few other like recordings that we did and different songs, but the, those are the ones that we chose in the end. And yeah, just to get a bit of background, guys were like. We recorded the, the pulse and the live stuff was in the hoops bar and it was like after <laughs> hours and the Gallagher, I uh, Tam at the time who ran it, uh, he let us in and it would be like after it was do you know it was like midweeks and stuff, wasn't it? And it was like the, mm-hmm. the, he's like, Oh, the pub's quiet, come on in and record and it was like getting later on and see if you listen really carefully for it, you can actually hear Tam emptying the bins and a bottle crash, you know, somewhere <laughs> on the album and kind of how it's the bins yeah. and stuff. So it was very DIY, I suppose, compared to what we're doing now, but it's still like a, a massively popular album and probably established as a, you know, in terms of like getting on the scene and putting music out there. Chris, was that the idea when you first formed, when you, when you first got together, like to sing songs and create songs with a social conscience? Uh, that and probably drinking, uh, drinking on <laughs> of booze and partying. Uh, no, no, uh, I think, you know, it was funny, but like, I, the first time I ever met Paul, uh, we were going over to Belfast to gig, and uh, and it was funny because I think we clicked right away. Uh, like, do you know that kind of way? Yeah. We, we, we kind of lot in common and stuff like that, and and even musically, that's probably still remained the same. You know, right for day one, yeah. we kind of even though we we're in different bands at the time, it was just a coincidence that we came together for this kind of gig. But uh, and then we kind of just stay in touch and did some gigs together, and it's kind of it's kind of blossomed. The relationships have blossomed. <laughs> I think as well, Chris, like at the time I was, I had, there was only Cinderella story and in, in these hands and I wouldn't have had the confidence to be playing songs and like, oh, I'm going to write these songs, I'm going to do that because I was, I loved all the, the stuff that was already out there. But then it was maybe like yourself and Joe who were saying, oh, that's a good song, we like, I like that. And maybe we started to maybe play it and people were still like wanting songs that they knew, but at the same time they were maybe stopping it and, and listening to them. And I think that kind of idea of, of writing songs and then by the time the second album came by like right we're going to do everything we're going to write these are the what we're going to to talk about these are the things that are going to we're going to write and sing um and then it just came more of a kind of natural progression and i think now 
like I still need to be in a we, we'd write things together when we're in that the, the, the recording or the, the rehearsal rooms and stuff, but even kind of coming with ideas and everyone kind of builds up to it or builds their own parts um, or says, Why don't we try this? And the amount of times I can remember songs coming together when it was the full band and uh, you know, when even we'd be putting bits of the drums or yeah. um or we'd, we'd think about a a stop or we'd think about how how would an intro or a and like that's so different from just playing G, C, and D in your in your room and, and the guitar. And that, that's that's a, a thing about songwriting. It's a you know it's it's got there's a natural and organic thing to it. I really take my hat off to people that can just do these things off the top of their head or can just produce hundreds of them in in, a, in one go. It's just such a a long process. I think really for myself, and it needs everyone else to be there. And I think that's probably what's been a a thing this year with lockdown. You've we've been so far apart from each other to to have that kind of freshness that we'd, we, we'd experienced for so long before. Yeah. Yeah, you were touching on there about kind of writing songs and was it a conscious effort to write stuff that was different from what everyone else was playing, like the classic, like, IRA Provo stuff or was it just kind of like want to do something a bit different? Um, so, I think, when well, you go, Chris, I, I, I well, know that... We've probably got the same answer, so you, you go, man. <laughs> no, I, I, I'd... Uh, I'd Cinderella story because I wanted to write stuff about the I wanted to write stuff about the Glasgow Irish and I wanted to write stuff about the um the the kind of the, the links that had been established or things that maybe hadn't been talked about before. And there was a lot of like books at the time, like uh, Wherever the Green is Worn by Tim Pat Coogan that I'd read. And the Jimmy Maley song, the, the uh, These Hands came from me buying a big issue, a copy of the big issue and and writing the the song like a couple of hours after having read the article about him and we were talking about the earlier on when we actually eventually got around to recording it. Um, you know, we recorded that song and, and two days after we read in the paper that he passed away. The that idea then just things would just come from a, a discussion or just something that they would they wouldn't just go, I'm gonna do this one, I'm gonna write a song about these people, I'm gonna write a song about these people. It just was things just kinda of happened that it helped to feed the, the sort of songwriting process, you know. Yeah, I think Pierce, we were, we were, John, when we started off, we were playing the songs that everybody was playing. We, we were essentially going down the circuit around the pubs, you know, and we didn't have enough of our own songs. So, and in reality, we, we were just, you know, playing covers as like all the Irish bands were kind of doing. And then eventually, like, we got to a point where we thought, well, do you know, it, it, it's hard to, I don't want this to sound wrong, but it's hard to try and like sell a ticket to come and see us at the big hooli performing yeah. our own songs where we could bring in a horn section or bring in a, a fiddle player or a keyboard player when we could go when the next night we might be in a pub in the city centre where you could come at nine o'clock to midnight and people could come in for free yeah. and see and I don't mean that in a, a bad way like we, we still gig all the time you know we still do these things but there became a point where we thought we'll try and make a go with this you know we'll try and get people to kind of our own original material, you know, and try and like establish that itself. So, uh, I think that's the kind of route we kind of kind of went down, you know, certainly towards today. When you look at things like No Irish Need a Fly, though, there was almost an element of education to it. Like, I think a lot of people listening to that one, they can either relate for, for direct experience or being part of the diaspora, but two, some of the songs in it were um, really resonated with so many people. And when you look at like. Am I correct in saying in that album was that uh, Uncanny Football or Jinky? Yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what a song. And and then uh, unbelievable. I, I literally indoctrinate my son to that. And uh, <laughs> and then you've also am I right in saying that it was Pirates of the League as well about Saint Pauli? Yeah, 
Aye, that's, that's, that's right, yep. See, you're going yeah. to put us on the spot here, man, and make us. I'm, <laughs> going my, I'm going to get my phone and check my Spotify just to see what songs <laughs> actually put on that album. It, it, it was, yeah, it was. <laughs> I what I was going to ask you was, sorry, sorry, on you go, mate. No, no, that's all on you go, sorry. What I was going to say was, when you look at like a song like Pirates of the League, and um, the influence that that sort of gave you, and uh, sort of established this this grounding in, in Hamburg, and obviously a, a place that's synonymous with the music scene, obviously the Beatles, and um, you look at like as a sort of port punk city, and then you obviously played at the, the centenary at the Millen Tour. Did that give you a kind of foothold into Hamburg and just try to establish yourself as a bit of a, a sort of, well, I, if I'm being totally honest, all the guys I know at St. Paul would kind of describe you as a sort of cult band. The absolute thing about you is I've been at the games and they literally wear your t shirt. So, um, was that, was that like, was that a, not deliberate? But was it was the thinking to sort of highlight the links between Celtic and Celtic um, at the time, or was more more overt? Well, we'd been invited over to, to do the the Saint party, and I have I was a big fan of Blanny Pilgrims, and I love the song the fans of Saint uh, yeah. uh, Pauli, and I think we wanted to do a song for like write one of our own songs. We we did that as a cover that night, and then we also wanted to do one of our own songs. But they, at the time. They were doing um, re- renovating the stadium and they were building a fan room. So whenever we went over and we played that song, and I was like, we said to them, after we finished this song, you can take, you can take this song and use it for whatever you want. It turned out they needed to use it for uh, putting, a, they put a fan album together, a fan room album of different bands. So they took that song and that was out with that was out with the uh, our like our, our release that was, they they released that long before we had. Uh, put it on the the Noise and Apply album, so that became the first kind of uh, foot uh, for, for us into into Sam Pauli. But I think they liked the fact that it, we weren't just writing, we weren't writing a song in the kind of Irish style that was mentioned in Sam Pauli. We were pretty much trying to, I think, uh, we wanted a kind of rock rock vibe to it as well. We wanted it to, and then incorporating um, like Antifa Hooligans at the end. So once that that came in they used that for the Fan Room album and then they put it on the 100-year anniversary album and then they invited us back to come and play at the anniversary concert. And that's how that all kind of came together. So that was really all, all through like Sven and Sunka and, and guys involved with the club that, that linked it. And it's like totally, totally overwhelming um, opportunities that we didn't ever think would have come from having done it. We just thought we'd do the song. You, you can use it if you want to to use it to help raise some funds and we thought that would be the end of it but didn't realise it would actually spiral on and on as it as it had uh, as it did Do you know I don't know have you boys been to the Sam Pauli party well obviously a couple of you have been before I don't know if it, it's oh, I've never been have you been over when, when this is on you need to go but for me it was like we were an Irish band and you're going over there you know and you're, you're doing your thing and the support band on before you would be like a ska band you know, we the trombones and all that, right? And the Germans are all jumping about daft and 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 you're sitting like, this is brilliant. You know what I mean? We're going to go on after this guy band and play you know, a couple of ballads and stuff like that. But <laughs> they, they, it was just, but they were so appreciative and so into everything, you know. And and for me, when we were kind of like uh, like Pirates League and all when Paul's songs and we more rehearsing it, you know, all these different that was like, in the back of the mind. We were thinking, well, when we're over in Germany. There's these kind of bands supporting us, all these different styles. So we're going to try and bring influence some of this in as well, you know. And that's when it gets its kind of like scap, kind of punky rock, kind of 
kind of flavours from and stuff, but uh, it's a, uh, do you know, off that album, I'm just looking at there, like, it's been a while since I've seen that album, uh, what a jump from, like, I take these hands, because no one needs to apply, same piece of silence, Southside Paddy, Uncrowned King, Bella Chow, Free the People, Drinking Song, James Conley's Ghost, St. Patrick's Battalion, Pirates of the League from Gutter to the White House, majority of that album was our own, so that was a big jump from us, you know, from these hands, oh, yeah. when we only had two co- uh, two original songs, and the rest being covers, to jump on, and, and, and you know, and probably the album would have been an acquired, maybe, taste for people, you know, but whoever said in terms of, like, education-wise, I mean, for me alone, when you look at that, we're talking about a second division German football team, we're talking about uh, Irish uh, fighting for the Mexicans against the, the uh, against America, you, you know what I mean? What so we've got, like, got to the White House, you know, the like, kind of rise of the Irish in America and whatnot, so we've got so many different topics in there, and, and, and it is an education, you know, and, and I think after that album, that was definitely the way we wanted to go, you know, and I, I don't know, but you, you guys are, you know, reading, I, I read a lot about the Irish struggle uh, and, and listening to songs growing up and stuff, and then off that, you know, and I always tell this story, was, like, probably the first song was Viva La Quinta Regada, and that was always a song that jumped out at me on my playlist, well, on my cassettes, because I didn't know that song was about. They were singing about, you know, olive trees and, and fighting in Madrid and stuff, you know, and it made me go away and research that. And then, you know, you find I was the Irish and the Scottish volunteers that went over to fight in, in there. And from that, you know, it starts opening your eyes to different songs that they kind of, like, people struggle, you know, the, the world over. So, and I think that's something the weeks have just been trying to kind of push and write as many songs about as we could. Just there, he's mentioned Bella Chow. Um, it's surprising that I haven't received penalty points every time that comes on the radio. When that big kicks in, the lonesome boatman, I'm like, fuck it. Driving down the road like a, like a maniac. But just touching on St. Pauli, that's how, how well organised that club. Like their fan base, um, everything that they fight for, everything that they believe in, it's just, it's so, it's just so relevant and so important. Um, do you think that, that, that Celtic could do more um, and look? to St. Pauli and their fan base and sort of give the sort of Green Brigade the respect that St. Pauli give to their, to their fan groups? Paul, you take this one uh, first. Yeah, I've said like beforehand that um, a lot of times Celtic would like would use the Green Brigade when it suits them as yeah. well. You know, they use them to like for say if they want to sell big this, uh, photographs to displays that the Green Brigade boys have gone and set up and everything and, uh, and they'll you know, but as soon as something happens, then they, they, they were the first to kind of, you know, distance themselves. And anything. So there's, but I, th- I think that um, there's a, th- a bigger thing than the the, uh, the the fan support is that also that I think that fans in Germany tend to have more power than the fans do here. Whether it's uh, the fifty plus one rule or whether it's the yeah. uh, the the sort of you know, for years, some people were fighting against over commercialisation at the club. Um, I, I think that whilst the club have accepted that they had to kind of move along with the times to stay afloat because that's the kind of business model, um, they are very much, they've listened very much to the, the fans, they've listened to the fan base. You know, there's been instances where the fans have had like, you know, boycotted going to the match until a certain point in the stadium, then come in to make a point yeah. about, uh, you know, how important fans are. And I think that the Celtic certainly will, uh, would be very much they want to show 
you know, they are in charge regardless of uh, of who's criticising them. And that's something that we've kind of, I think, seen this season, um, you know, so that's that's one thing that I think that I'd love to see Celtic. I'd love to see all Scottish clubs moving more towards that German model. Um, and I think that it's an important thing for the, the voice of fans there, the lifeblood of the game. But I, I don't still see that they're, they're recognised, the fan groups are recognised um, the way that they are in Europe. Yeah, that, I think that's spot on. But also, see with St. Pauli, without being critical of them, I think there is a, there's almost an element of revision on which certain people I speak to because St. Paul has not always been this sort of uh, idealistical left-wing club. Um, no, not like you were touching earlier on about Sonka, and um, I've been lucky enough to meet him quite a few times, and he's coming on the podcast shortly. And um, like obviously, <clears throat> for people that might not know, St. Pauli predating the the um, occupation of the buildings in the Reeperbami district and things like that, and the squatters movement when they sort of started thinking, like, we're not going to start standing next to fascists at Hamburg. We want a situation where we can kind of take this ideology but transfer it onto the terraces. Um, they were a kind of provisional club with really small crowds. And then, the, like, I heard the story as well about how the, the Skull and Crossbone came about. It was a guy that was coming back to a pub, steaming drunk, apparently, if the story's correct, mm-hmm. um, bought a Skull and Crossbone flag, took it to the game, and then it was just incorporated by uh, the club. So I think he's probably kicking himself that he didn't patent it. But, um, but obviously the club... My boost season he was. Yeah, yeah. A big big guy with sort of blonde hair. Is that right? I think he's... A, he's Doc Mabuse, he was a, a squatter and I think he took it from the, the, the fun fair that was next door and brought yeah. it in. Yeah. The, obviously the club's almost transcended itself. Like from, from, its, from its size, even at the Millantor, I know it's expanded and the stadium looks amazing now, but... The, the thing I think is so incredible about the club is that at its core, it's retained a complete consistency within the support. Like, even if you look at campaigns, I think it was called like Neuromantics. Remember when they turned it red? Yep. Um, the campaign yep. against the... Bring back some Yeah. Um, and there's various different things that they've done. And even like the things like Bunladen and the group and the, the situations inside the stadium, the, the, at the core of the club is the fans. Um, and even though you're saying that they have to go down this commercial route, I think, I'm right in saying they take the second most amount of money in commercial revenue in yep. Bundesliga E, but they've still maintained a left-wing identity and they don't shun it. I think the problem with Celtic is that we do the opposite. We're happy to utilise the fans when they try to make a quick pound off them, but the second you want to talk about cultural relevance, Ireland or politics, they want absolutely nothing to do with it. Whereas I think that would invariably change if the 50 plus one rule came in because the majority would be advocating for the consistent position of the fans as the biggest stakeholder. Whereas at the moment, we've got a billionaire dictating what you can and can't do. Um, I think Germany is probably the way to go. But see, just touching back on like playing over there and things like that, um, would you now, de- like I know you're a Celtic man, but would you describe yourself now more as St. Pauli or is it, a sort of, is it just a sort of balance between the two because you've got such a love for both clubs? I, I, I'd yeah, say I first of all, I wanted Celtic to beat them last time. <laughs> 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 we both said we wanted Celtic to beat them last time they played. <laughs> yeah, definitely, I'm definitely more down Celtic, but I love Sampoli. But I love, you know, the, the butterflies in my stomach, the, the, the intensely sick feeling that I have whenever Celtic lose, I, I, I haven't had that the same way, you know, that I get with Sampoli. I think um, my heart is, is very much the, the, the Celtic persuasion. Aye. I'd say being a season ticket holder for many years as well. I was I'm definitely a Celtic fan. 
and I would not well, hesitate in a minute yeah. to go. And I'm not a, I'm not really a fan of people who follow lots of different clubs or whatever. You know, there's only like a, a, there's no Premiership team that I would say that I, I watch at all. Be honest with you, but I would always okay. keep an eye out for Sam Pauli or whatnot. You know, so. Well, just because you were over there quite a lot, I've never understood why Celtic don't organise a pre-season friendly with them. Because the amount of meaningless pre-season friendlies we play that nobody goes to. If we played San Paoli, there'd be a big crowd at the game. I don't understand why the club don't do it. They did. We we played before. Uh, yeah, they, they they have played. Uh, but you're right. Every season it seems to be <clears throat> another area that we play quite a lot. Paul, were they playing the kickers down in Stuttgart and stuff, and they were kind of like kind of like yeah, really kind of low low down teams you know just for kind of what bounce games and stuff and uh you're right i'd love it to be a more kind of you know established kind of fixture if they did do a relationship because uh but you know there'll, there'll be reasons for it and i'd, I'd put it mostly in celtic's hands and there'll be oh, reasons right. for it you know why yeah <laughs> was, was, was the last game not they, the they one played, they played the in 2010 yeah, 2010. No, it was 20, 2014. 2014 were uh, 2010th anniversary game. 2014 was, I think, 1-0 St. Um, and that was over in Hamburg. And then that's the only time they've played since. But I actually found the programme from Celtic's return to Hamden. Uh, sorry, Celtic's return to, to Parkhead after a year at Hamden in 1995. And the pictures from the St. Pauli game are there in the, the very first encounter between the two clubs, a 0-0 draw. Um, is, is in, was in the programme. So they've only, they've only had three games. Um, I, I think maybe down to money. The, the fact is, maybe St. Pauli as well do a lot of the pre-season in America. So, you know, they've, they've got huge support across the world too. But it would be great to see them playing over at Parkhead. I think that would be a, yeah, a, a wonderful okay. thing. I'd love to, have, to for them to play anywhere, but yeah. The anniversary in 2010, I think Paddy McCord scored, scored an absolute worldie. Then he's yeah, on our really That's did. right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Darry Pally. <laughs> the see see with St. Paulo though, see just going back there for a wee second. Do you think in your heart of hearts that like Celtic potentially not like in our lifetime, I'm not talking about donkeys down the line, but do you think we could ever get to a situation where the club or certainly the support kind of I would say I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not idealistical, I'm also not daft to think that every single Celtic fan is a socialist or a Republican. But do you ever think we could get to a situation where it's closer aligned in something like a St. Pauli model, whereby the fans can demonstrate an overt understanding of a political ideology, take it onto the terraces, it's celebrated by the club as opposed to being shunned, and we get to a model of fan ownership? Do you think that's just unfathomable, or is it a possibility? I, I don't think fan ownership was something we'll see in our, in our lifetime. I really don't. Um, I, I think that obviously COVID's come and rather than people assessing how they're going to survive uh, through fans and through like how fans can recreate or resurrect clubs, it's just really shown in the past few days, the past few weeks, the elite and their, um, their, their desire to, to go to European super leagues and everything else. And, and I think that unfortunately whilst some of our bigger clubs don't have the ability to flex their muscles that same way, I think it's more and more likely as time goes on that, that it will be, you know, single people running the clubs rather than being a club being run for the by the many, you know? No, it's um, like kind of a Celtic... So, sorry, Paul, cut across it. Like, not, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of St. Pauli fans who, who we know are friends who have, like, basically... 
we love to see Sam Pauli do well, but it's almost seen as a kind of a, a funny, a kind of jokey thing. Oh, we, we won or we got promotion. You know, it's almost like Sam Pauli like being the underdog. Where yeah. you know, I think probably a lot of Celtic fans would say, you know, we should be in, uh, we should be fighting in Europe, we should be competing yeah. at the top level. You know, and there is that kind of like difference. Even though you can see that the, the fan base in Sam Pauli is huge. You know, it's like the biggest. Uh, safe standing stadium in the world you know in terms of like the, the, the kind of capacity and stuff like that uh, but that it's I, I just can't like Paul was saying I just can't see it in, in my lifetime anyway you know as being the it's, Celtic is a big corporate machine you know and I think it would take a lot to you know to fight against to that not that we, should, we shouldn't be doing that but uh, you know I think there's the, the billionaires are, are truly in there you know I think see as well when you look at the fan base whenever they first began to become friends or and it was guys from the fanzine scene that were involved the guys from the not the view and and the guys from uh, I've just forgotten the name of the, the not the Obersteiger the I've forgotten the, the Sam Pauli um, fanzine but guys who were involved and they were looking at the similarities in the clubs and the similarities in the support um, and very much they saw allegiances the left wing politics everything else going on. And, as you were saying earlier on, um, Martin hadn't been that left wing. Uh, they hadn't, you know, they, they had only really established themselves as cult club uh, around the 1990s for, from the movement in the 1980s with the punk movement and the, the squatters movement. So by the time the friendship became, they noticed all the, the, the similarities. And I've, I've said to, to Sven, you know, had he who was there at the forefront of all that, guys like Joe Miller over here, and um, and like nowadays, had if two clubs were to come together, would it be simply in Celtic that would come together, or would simply have found themselves maybe with a, a FC United in Manchester, or a, mm-hmm. or would other clubs generate these friendships and support? And it's funny just how how much football's changed in that time, um, over the years where. They were very much there was so much public outcry because Celtic were at the same time going through the the, the motion of sack the board by the time nineteen ninety three came, um, so that the fan pressure groups were there. There was lots of class action. Um, I think the world's changed so much, and it's interesting to see the perspective of just where football friendships are establishing now, and in, in some people establishing friendships with teams like Real Vallecano and different teams too, um, and. And I think Celtic, though, were that first firm uh, comradeship between the two clubs. The Rebels' choice. See the see the fanzine you were on about the other night? Was that the Millantor Roar? It may have been Millantor Roar, or it may have been... I'm not too sure. Was it, it was a guy with a beard. I've just forgotten the name of it. It's, it's totally gone out my head. But I might be, I might be wrong in there. But I know, I know the some of the guys that were involved, like Dirk and Sven, and, and the different people who were on the on the terraces at the time. Um, Sam, different guys who were all involved in the the early uh, ultras movement, I suppose, of Sam Pauli before it became known as the ultras movement. USP. See, I, th- I think what you said there hits the nail on the head, though. Like. A lot of guys I spoke to in relation to St. Pauli, it was almost as if they, they kind of hated when they were in the Bundesliga that season. I think they kind of liked the sort of underdog, sort of the, well, St. Pauli basically is a movement. It's so much more prevalent than just 90 minutes. I think there's a lot of people that still look romantically like that with regards to Celtic, but it's a bit different. Like if Celtic draw a game, it's like there's absolute outcry, whereas um, it's just a wee bit different. Like, and it's not like St. Pauli are a, are a bad team. They're having a good season this season, but 
it's almost as if like this the football secondary it's what happens on the terrace and it's what happens in the, the district it's what how they're engaging with fan-led projects and the work that they're doing in the district's just different class the fans are very much the club and um, unfortunately we're so far off that i mean there's definitely steps in the right direction with the green brigade and different initiatives now but maybe baby steps in comparison to their fan culture see Sorry. Do you see, see at the start of the, the start of each season, the new players assigned to the club are led around by um, Sven takes them through this through the town, uh, takes them uh, down through all different parts to meet see the fans, um, takes them all around and says these are the people you're playing for, tells them the history of the area. Mm. So that would be such a big thing if you can imagine Celtic's new signings being led through through Arquette and these these are the people that come to pay your wages. These people want to see you play football. These are the, this is the this is a this area where the club was set up to help feed the, this is St Mary's and the Calton. Yeah. I think it's a, that connection is such an important thing. Sorry, Martin. Not at all. That would be unbelievable. Here, and you come to the squirrel, mate. I'll get you a venom. <laughs> I just <laughs> just <keep>. funny enough. <laughs> Tom, Tom Boyd, we had Tom Boyd on a few weeks ago and he was actually speaking about that. He's, he was like sort of uh, what, what he was doing and him and Tommy Burns and they were going, they were, they were meeting fans and meeting greats and going to different functions around Scotland, Ireland and England. Um, but yeah, you can just see now that the, the players and even the management and the, the, there's, such a, there's a bit of a disconnect. I don't think the fans actually get what the club is about. Like what you're saying there with St. Pauli and what they do, I think that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I'm just getting visions of Roger saying to everyone, you know, as long as you're here, I'm here. So it's just. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair, Danny McGrain story. Yeah. <laughs> this, just, is uh, this is the full just... parkhead. <laughs> <laughs> See, just going back to the music, lads. Um, it was actually Martin who, who put me on this uh, back in 2013. So I checked the, the album out. That song. The Cinderella story. It obviously talks about um, people from Ireland getting forced to move to Glasgow because of British genocidal policies. You look back now on that song and just go, "Fuck me!" Like we we made that. We we, we sing that song. Like it's such a powerful song. Like we, we spoke about the educational side of things, and you don't really get that no more in music. Is that something that you're really proud of? Oh, you go, Paul. You wrote the song. <laughs> no, no, I guess I mean. Uh, you, um... Like a lot of the a lot of the stuff that's from wherever the green is worn, like the the book by Tim Pat Coogan that I think I'd, my gran had given me years before. So I don't think it was in kind of conscious and and kind of do it that way. But I think it was just like trying to tell the story of the diaspora. But because it was a, a first attempt at writing songs, it was uh, maybe a bit of a you're right there, Lee. It was a surprise where people reacted positively to things. There was never expecting it to come that way um, but uh, you, you know listening back I, I don't tend to listen to our stuff too often but every so often it might pop back up um, somehow and I'll, I'll have it I'll go you know and it's more of a sense of kind of pride that you know that's, that's, that's done and and I think it's about you know moving to our next thing that we're doing but you're lucky like something and go do you know that was a good song or that was a great or that wee bit that Chris played or that bit that that uh, uh, Piro played in, in, or we we talk about just I suppose we moments. It's all about I suppose music. It's those wee moments um, of of time and moments of uh, of of kind of creativity that helps these things come together. You know, Paul, oh, Winters, 
Paul wants to write a musical about that song eventually. A full blown <laughs> West yeah, End do. production. I do. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, uh, not Get us a couple of front row tickets. Uh, <laughs> uh, your third album was The Red and the Green, which had uh, John McLean's March, which is just a fantastic song. Was it a deliberate effort again to write about Scottish socialists? Because I know myself, I hadn't heard of him until I heard that album at the time, whereas most people were just doing the Irish thing. Uh, Chris, you go with this one. Uh, do you know, th- that's a song that, that I, again, due to like, kind of researching and kind of educating myself, you know, growing up and, and whatnot, and the, the, the music of Hamish Imluck. And, uh, and, and, you know, everybody, in front of everybody's mind would be Conley, because Conley's part in, in the Easter Uprising. And uh, John McLean, you know, that's another song that, Everybody in the folk scene that I've heard do it is very much in that folk kind of style, you know, the acoustic guitar, the kind of, not the chorus, but you know, that kind of like, the, the, the kind of, the, do you know what I mean, with the kind of big kind of woolen sweaters and all that, and then when, when we got, <clears throat> when, I don't know, who, was it Paul, was it yourself that maybe said about adding that one, but you know, putting the week's twist on it, you know, and oh, kind of, it, it, it was you. Was it me? And, uh, and it's like, and you like add our kind of twist to it, kind of musically and stuff like that, you know. Which again, not 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 everybody who's like a big folk fan maybe like liked the way we did the song, you know. But for us, it was like the what the song, the way we interpreted it. And again, it comes back to the education thing, you know. Where, where, where just when you're saying well, you hadn't heard of John John McLean, you know, and and the part and that I mean, the incredible story of like a uh, British British tanks in George Square. You know, kind of crushing a suspected uprising of the workers, you know, and and the amount like the stories that come off it, and and this is stories that we <clears throat> had met growing up. It was all, you know, it was like the Easter uprising and, and, and different things that were happening in Ireland, and I didn't know as much about my own my, my Scottish history and stuff, and, and and there's some great stories, you know. I think you, you give me an album years ago, Chris. Also, you give me that band. Who is it? Ten to ten to midnight or something, or noon. To noon or something. What was the band oh. called again? They did John McLean's March. And that was one of the, the the first times we really thought this could have amazing potential to do it. Yeah, I, I God, that was a while ago now, but <laughs> it'll be in my loft somewhere. Aye, or in yours. Aye, sorry guys. <laughs> the, the album was the, the audio was cutting off there as, as Chris was finishing talking. I because could, I couldn't see his face. Sorry. No problem. Do you know what? Somebody was actually trying to phone me there. That's why I think my, my internet wasn't very happy. Somebody was trying to phone me there. But uh, I, I, do you know? I, and again, just like I was saying, it comes about that education thing, you know, it's like reading what's happened in your own kind of city as well and how that's influenced, you know, uh, do you know what I mean? And, and and try to educate people that way, you know, if we can, obviously give people a key wee insight, you know, and, and we always love it when people do say to us, you know, oh, I didn't know this about, you know, this topic or that's a great, you know, that I read about that or, you know, and that, that that's a kind of feel good factor for me when you when you hear people say that, you know, they kind of like you're glad that you've made a, an right, endless small way because... Myself, I'd be like, we've all been involved in in, in 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 various kind of like political movements and whatnot, and and even recently in terms of like Scottish elections and stuff like that. And uh, the you could be out handing out leaflets, you could go out for all day, you know, leafleting and doing this thing, like uh, and 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 obviously standing at stalls and stuff. But I think it would have a bigger impact if you can touch touch people with music, you know, if you could put across a message and people, you know, they just react Absolutely. to that, you know, and that's so uh, that's about that for John McLean, Paul. And you want to add for that? Sorry, no, not at all. I think I think you can hit the nail on the head with that song. Uh, 
a great uh, figure. The one th- sadness thing I think about John McLean is the fact that there's a very small plaque dedicated to him in Pollock. And I lived across, not too far away from it when I stayed in the south side of Glasgow. Um, and you would hardly know it was there. And I think that as a real Scottish socialist figure and as an important figure who's was the, the, one of the few people out with Russia that was on the Russian stamp, uh, he's not remembered in the, in the city the way that the Red Clyde side movement should have been remembered and commemorated, and it's taken so long to even get the statue of Mary Barber up. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the great John McLean um, in, his, in his city is, uh, you know, isn't as at, the, as at the forefront as he should be, but that's the change in nature of how Glasgow sees itself. It's not the Red, Red Clyde side anymore. It's more of a cosmopolitan um uh, changes in the in the city's uh, perception of itself. I think you could say the exact same about Conley. Um, for me, Conley is everything. When I was growing up, he was absolutely pivotal in my thinking. There was a, obviously various different revolutionaries that I sort of attached myself to and read about and when you're trying to educate yourself as a younger guy. But for me, every single thing that Conley done, the relevance is still so pertinent now. Um, and he's commemorated only by a plaque in the Cowgate. And the incredible thing for me is what he'd done, what he achieved. I'm not going to go through his whole history, but the, the lack of education on Conley for me is just astonishing. Like, a, a lot of guys I've spoke to when I'm over in Ireland don't even know he was born in Edinburgh, um, which is just incredible. And so many, most in Edinburgh, if you weren't a Republican or a Socialist, would, wouldn't know that either. You, if you go through the Cowgate, you would only see a tiny wee plank. Um, yep. Use were through and you've played at a... One, a, a a JCS event in Malone's a few years back um, and things like James Conley's Ghost Nuts and stuff and Walking in the Footsteps of James Conley and different songs have been oh, done yeah. over the years so it highlights um, the magnitude of the man but, but also what music does what you were saying earlier on is it takes people to a different place it can educate them they can relate to it and then maybe off that they'll maybe start reading about him like 16 Lives and things like that but Conley for me was just absolutely everything um, and it's just quite sad that even people that call themselves Republicans and all that sort of stuff, I don't think they have a great grasp on them. Even like Sean McDermott, he worked in Edinburgh for four years as a gardener. Um, Conley, you look back at his backstory, like the fact he was in the British Army, worked in the press room down at the bottom of uh, Holyrood Road and um, worked with his brother before going away at the age of 14 and his uncle being on the run and being a Fenian in Monaghan. And, like, then you look at the stuff he'd done, even like John Leslie and all that sort of stuff, getting involved with the unions in Dublin, his work over with the, the Wobblies in America, like just absolutely incredible. What, like, just a phenomenal human being. Do you know, I think uh, the, the, the saying that this, you know, will go on lines of like uh, history is written by the victors, you know, and mm-hmm. is that where the songs are written by the people, you know, and, yeah. and that that's Conley and guys, Jim Larkin. Uh, John McLean, the likes, you know, they, these are the people's heroes, you know, and and the society we live in, uh, they're not going to get the recognition, you know, when when <laughs> you have the kind of like uh, a kind of Tory uh, councillors and representation through Edinburgh way, you know, and that kind of thing. So well, the uh, city, the city is littered with monuments to people that are littered all the way along George Street and Princess Street with imperialists that were colonists that were involved in the slave trade, and yet you've got a guy that, in my opinion was the greatest ever man born in Scotland for the influence he had on the rest of the world. Even if you look at the proclamation, if Conley wasn't involved with ICA at the time, the Irish Republican Brotherhood and the Irish, uh, uh, Irish Volunteers would never, ever have taken on Irish men and Irish women. Or even when you like you look at what he'd done with Countess Markovic, that was unheard at the time. 
he was way ahead of himself. He was a feminist and a socialist at a time and it was not trendy. Um, and his politics were just absolutely on point. And I think the thing that people should understand the most about Conley is the fact that he was self-taught. This is a guy that, that um, grew up in a slum dwelling in Edinburgh's Little Ireland. And this is a guy that emancipated himself to a point of being an international revolutionary. It's incredible. And like, I, I read a lot about Conley. Uh, still in a, a lot of his writings and stuff. And uh, me and Paula found ourselves going through, there's been a lot of, kind of his recent kind of like songs and poetry and all that kind of released. And we've been looking yeah. at that kind of thing, haven't we? And being like, oh, I wonder if we can get a cover of yeah. this, you know, somewhere. You know, <laughs> steal a couple of lines. But uh, yeah, I, in terms of... Uh, you, no, you've you, you've totally hit the nail in the head uh, when you said there, Martin. It's uh, a, a moment for me, Edinburgh-related. Uh, the first Scottish independence referendum... Uh, we were invited along. There was the kind of yes movement, and they had a, the first big event, and it was at the just below the castle. Was the big kind of the palace grounds? Was the the there was a bandstand oh, thing there? Holyrood Park. Oh, so was, and the Princess Street Gardens. Princess Street Gardens, and there was yeah, a big, I was there. They had the big setup and stuff, and you know, and for me, you know, there's a lot of kind of bands in, it, and it was great. And the yes movement had brought on like you know everyone from every kind of like kind of sector and different kind of different interests and whatnot but for us we played James Conley's Ghost that day you know when we were, one of our own songs about a son of Edinburgh at the, the you know that that kind of independence movement type thing and that was a kind of proud moment for me you know yeah. playing that song through there I, see the, the I mean the fight that, that Conley had against is, is continues today and it, it's the, the fight against poverty which is yeah. continues so much that and it's still the work the class struggle um uh, of so many people who are reliant on food banks that we are we're having to um, maintain and it's things that we never thought would have been the, the same case and it's the same things that the civil rights of marchers of the 1960s in America uh, are fighting against the, the, the institutionalised racism so these things that are people fought against a long, long time ago that continue on and manifest themselves in different ways um, and you know, like the, the big struggle today continues with fighting child poverty, fighting deprivation, uh, lack of education, lack of opportunity, young people coming to school, hungry bellies. It's the same things. If you look at the writings that Conley, he, he talks about the exact same thing over a hundred years ago. And you know, as we come out of COVID and into this new world, um, the, 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 I think the worst is still to come. Um, in terms of people who've had money, who've been very successful, whose businesses have closed, and we've moved to a, a, a time that you know might not have been seen since the days of the depression, um, it's, it's scary times ahead, and it's something that I think we have to stand united. Uh, it cannot be allowed to be divided and conquered. It's got to be something that everyone um, can play their part in trying to trying to fix, and not just have this uh, me only. You know, it's got to be a collectivist movement of the people. 100%. I can feel a wee album coming on. That's <laughs> take, notes, take notes here. <laughs> see, the thing, mate, see, the, see just, just finish on Conley just for a wee second. I was just thinking that. No, like when you were writing songs like Conley's Ghosting, no, like when you see for me, see the importance of that. And I, I can't understate this because I've, I've listened to all your music for years. And I, to be fair, I actually play it all the time. But well, you the are his fifth favorite band. The, uh, <laughs> the thing. There's a lot of bands in the world. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, thing, the thing that I think is crazy is that so many people, and this isn't a stain on them in the slightest, um, but there's loads of different bands, predominantly Republican bands, the sort of music I was brought up listening to, Irish Republican music, 
the only fixating focus on people like Conley and his ilk and death. So obviously, this is a guy that's sort of mm. in the pantheons, the upper echelons, is a just absolute hero status in Irish Republicanism with Mellows and you know Bobby Sands and the rest. But they fixate on death, but they don't actually talk about what he'd done. So when you hear that some of the lyrics and the songs about and the medals and things are, a lot of people didn't know the sort of work that he'd done even prior to going over to Dublin or the work that he'd done in Belfast with Larkin or the yeah. work that he'd done over in America. Like, this is a guy that was organising, yeah. agitating, he was he was literally en- engrossed in class struggle here. So as opposed to just talking about his influence yeah. in that period during Easter Rising, like you are actually taking mm-hmm. it back a bit and saying, no, 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 look, yes, the guy was unbelievable. Yes, he organised, yes, yeah. he was agitated, yes, he was involved in the Easter Rising. But look what he'd done in all the decades prior to that. Like, he, he was yeah, literally... Did, yeah. The ghost of Conley is the ghost of Conley is the trade union movement. That's what that's what it is. It's the, the that's what we were saying about that. The James Conley's ghost is is the trade union movement. But you're totally right with all the the, the fact that it's this footsteps that he walked in that through the Cowgate and through parts of Edinburgh and and the work that he did in the release Dockers out in America. Yeah, mm-hmm. on the head there, Martin. Yeah, Conley's a weird one, and I don't know what it's up in Belfast, but like in the twenty six counties. Nationalists will only think of the 1916 part, but then people who are extremely on the left will nearly forget about that. So they both try to claim them for their own yeah. separate interests. Mm. See, is it, is I spoke about quite a lot in, in Belfast like with the obviously the newly established James Connolly Centre on the Falls Road. Um, the statue has just literally been moved in the last couple of weeks. So if anyone's listening to this who hasn't been and who hasn't you know, read about James Connolly or listen to songs about James Connolly, definitely or just to go and check it out. I'd love to go by Belfast. <laughs> I'd love to go by Belfast at any. Long time, long time since I've had a gig, eh? It's been on the boat. Yes, it's been a long time to anywhere. Well, I know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get you see there. See there, you're just talking about lockdown. Has it given us, Paul, with you being a songwriter and stuff, has it given us more ideas on, like, up and coming albums, I know I joked about that, but in all seriousness, is there is it has it gave you sort of the time to think about new music? God, Paul, give them the exclusive. Give them the yeah. exclusive. Go in. Oh, oh. Well, wait, well, we started doing stuff last year, and then we had to uh, abandon it just with um, unable to be meeting up and different things, and people being unwell, and then people. Covid and people ended up in hospital in the band so there was all that stuff going on but then now we're going to come back I think we're going to do another strip back session album uh, that's our, our latest thing that we're, we're going to working on so some 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 different tunes and maybe some some newly recorded stuff maybe some different versions of songs and, and put that out and then hopefully within the next few months after that then get back properly and start, uh, start putting some money aside to to fund a new album, so that's that's what we're kind of looking. Is that the same exclusive, Chris, or was it? No, that that, that, that was that was totally. Uh, it's, it's basically like we at the start of lockdown when when well when before kind of between lockdowns and whatnot. Me and Paul have been meeting up and uh, trying to track things. I mean, a lot a lot of guys have been doing like live streams and stuff, and it's been great. But for me, I was always like, I, I get more into my technology recording side of things. So you uh, did an amazing one with Connor and Pat after we won the league last year. Oh God, I can't even remember that man. So uh, <laughs> uh, I've been known, I've been known to turn up on a, a live stream. Uh, but we 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 have been recording a couple of uh, 
I don't know if you if you've ever heard that strip back album we we done we something like along the lines uh, we should have some some new material coming out as well. So just last week, me and Paul were loading up the files, weren't we? For like back in like kind of June, yeah, June time and listening and going, ah, that's okay. There's some we could get out of that. So uh, watch a space. We'll watch a space. The, when was it you wrote? I was listening to one of your sort of new things the other day. There um, is it called "No One Is Illegal." No human is illegal. No human is illegal. Yeah, no human is illegal. It'll be twenty. Everything's pretty much written about between five and six years ago because I've not really been able to write as much since my my children arrived on the scene because yeah. I've got to be <laughs> I've got to be quiet after seven o'clock <laughs> uh, so then go to bed. Um, but no, I think so. That was twenty fourteen. That would have been, oh, and then it, then it came. It would have come out twenty fifteen. Then it would have been put in the album twenty sixteen. So between twenty fifteen sixteen, that was kind of seeing about the just what was going on in the world at the time with the, the, the people fleeing Syria and people from different parts when it was at its height the, the refugee crisis was at its at its highest point mm-hmm. so that was we we've been working as well with Sea Watch it's a charity out in the Mediterranean Ocean it's like a, a, a rescue boat charity mission and we wanted to raise some money for them so every time we did a gig uh, on tour we would have a wee bit of money put aside from the gig if people could put a little work Around and then we, we ended up getting some poorly decided to say, look, we'll, we'll do this with you. And they uh, started to sell the, the stuff within the shop and we ended up being able to give over like 9,000 euros or something to Sea Watch. Uh-huh. Um, so that was from around that time. Yeah. Yes, I probably so, took on the, the t-shirt, didn't they? They, they, they basically yeah. sold the single and made a T-shirt and put the kind of Sampley logo on it as well, but it was the kind of the week's logo Sampley one and, and no humans are legal. And it, it raised, I think it was a lot more than that actually, Paul. I think a, a, a lot of money went towards the, the kind of Sea Watch charity, which were an organisation that are still under threat today, you know, in terms of yeah. uh, being basically boats confiscated and kind of attacked out of the sea for going out and helping people, you know, who are who are in desperate need of... The mind, know, like, the mind kind of, actually boggles how that is even possibly. But you know, I, 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 you know, in terms of like, lyrically, uh, for, for anybody listening, you know, if you, if you do like kind of current weeks and, uh, you know, in, in terms of maybe, uh, that's what I would say to check out, you know, a song. Uh, in terms of Paul's lyric writing and stuff, you know, that it's, mm. it's really, really powerful. You know, if you just, and it, and it just, and it just tells it the way it is, you know, if I, uh, you know, basically Paul, would it be after the, Remember the boy that, that washed up on the shore? Uh, was it in one of the Greek yeah. islands? Uh, yeah. It would have been around that time just after. Yeah, that kind of yeah, was just after to do it, but, uh, Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely check it out, guys, in terms of lyric-wise and, and, and for the songs. It's a really powerful song. Oh, man. See, uh, just before we get finished, we do we always do a wee sort of tip at the end. Um, three wee questions. I'll start with yourself, Chris, um, and then I'll finish. We'll go to Paul in the middle. What is the best game you've ever been to? St. Paul, Celtic, or anything in between? Jeez, man. Uh, emotional Celtic, uh, it would have been probably Larson's last game. Uh, as mm-hmm. such, you know, being being my boyhood hero uh, and, you know, and, and, and being at that at that match. Uh, and, uh, football Sorry, always... what one? Dundee United or Seville? Seville, uh, well, the last one was a friendly, but Dundee United in the cup final after Dundee. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and in terms of being like, you know, football like touching and hitting home at that point for me, that was, you know, that was like, 
this guy was my hero, you know, growing up. Uh, that 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 for me, in terms of total, purely emotional, uh, and and if I had to touch on Sam Pauli, uh when you go there for the atmosphere, absolutely any game, you know, you go <laughs> in as a, as an eye opener in terms of that culture and the the, the ultras culture and stuff. And and, and you know, like we. We've been about the same time as the boys in the Green Brigade and we're, we're friends with a lot of the guys and some of us might not or might not have been members previously. Uh, we're like in a... Uh, uh, <laughs> I like Jerry Adams there. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, you know, when you go over there and see the way they think, they, they do things, and like we've spoken about all the way through the podcast, you know, it's not really about the football. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it's yeah. going there and just taking it in, you know, so... Uh, that 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 would be my that would be my answer, man. Good man, this one's for you, Paul. What song means the most to you, and why? Oh man, that's a that's a mad question. <laughs> um, just songs in general. What songs in what song do I really love the most? No, you produce gold. Just your ones, mate. <laughs> just one of mine. All right, okay. Jeez, uh, oh, um, I'd be straight out. I, I think maybe. I think maybe these hands has been such an important thing because that was well, something that's um, I, I, well. There's been other ones that I love, like colours and stuff. I enjoy playing and I've really enjoyed the, the, and love Pirates of the League. And I, I think these hands has been a big one because that was that, that because we we met Jimmy Mealy and there's sorry we met Willie Mealy, Jimmy's son. And we recorded these hands. Uh, I wrote these hands in October and in the April two thousand and seven. Um, a few months later, when we actually recorded it, as I said, the next day, the day after Jimmy died, and we wanted to take it to him to let him hear it. And we took it to his son Willie and up to Glasgow Uni up to see him, and uh, and went in and sat in the room and played it, and he just sat in silence, and then just stopped and went, "That's a good fight and song." My dad liked a good fight, and I think the fact that it kind of has kept along the life of the international brigaders. Because he was one of the last to die, you know, and and other people who it wasn't, it, it who's it wasn't their story. It was Jimmy's story, but it was still their song, or it was their dad's song, or it was their granddad's song because it was their their granddad had that same experience, or maybe hadn't come back from Spain. And I think that whilst we whilst you know we told Jimmy's story, we told other people's song. We told sorry, we told Jimmy we sang Jimmy's song. We told other people's stories as well. And I think that these hands is, has been such an important part for us in that one, in that respect. Um, and that fight against fascism still continues to this day. Um, and that yeah. th- th- Jimmy was so brave, like so many guys and, and women that came across from different parts of the world to go and fight in Spain. They got on a train and sneak into France just and, and saw who had foresight to see what was going to happen in the world in the next few years after. And I really think that just like if I was to sum everything back up by that's that's the song I think that I would take with me when I go. Great answer. That's such a powerful statement. Such a powerful statement. That's a good fighting song. Like that's just absolute quality. Uh, Chris, my question to you, mate, just before we move on, is gonna be who is your political hero? Jeez, man. That's a good question. Uh do you know, and it's it's maybe not a great answer because we've been talking about talking about the guy, but genuinely, 
growing up and still in terms of his writings and stuff would probably be Conley, you know. But uh, uh, there's so many, you know, real, real inspirational uh, figures throughout history which have uh, massively, uh, even in terms of like struggles uh, and whatnot. But I, I'd say genuinely, Conley overall would be my my, my hero anyway. I would say so. Short and sweet that one. Unreal, Paul. What about yourself? I've had much such a massive respect just now for Nelson Mandela. I always did, but the, you know, when I was a wee boy, I'm 40 now, so Nelson Mandela Place was always that street in Glasgow for a long, long time, even when he was in jail. And then I went to see his exhibition of his life last year, and to have a full understanding again of what was going on in Africa, what the whole people were going through, and how he kind of came to symbolise what had happened and, you know, he spent 75 years uh, unable to vote. I think he was 75 when he, he cast his first vote and, you know, how such a, a powerful, he was forgotten about it as well for a long time and he was, you know, he was demonised by British media. Yeah. There was everything else that had gone on. It wasn't as if he was, everyone was singing his, his praises and wanting him released the way that people started to do it and it wasn't until about the 1980s that they had the kind of it became a, a kind of a name that, that would become more commonly known, despite the fact he'd been in jail for so long. Uh, and I think that whenever he actually was released and, and, and ascended to the presidency, he was still in this huge um, sort of Africa. Was, South Africa was such a melting pot of, of tension and everything else that was going on um, and reading his writings. But the, the, the ultimate thing about Mandela was he was a man of peace and a man of compassion and forgiveness. And I think that's just such an important, and humility, uh, such an important thing that, uh, that he, he embodied, um, such an a, a amazing, um, amazing person who had, who had so much love despite the hardships he'd faced. Just quickly, see part of your version of The Legend, I think that's my favourite version of that song. Ah, uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, th- thanks very much. I've actually just written a, a, a chapter for a book about Nelson Mandela, about Rutulet, um dedicating his award of the the, uh, the footballers, the Ballon d'Or to Nelson Mandela. Mm. Um, one of the first kind of people that came out and said it, and people in Italy didn't know who he was. A lot of people in, in Rutulet's, uh in the Serie A were oblivious to what was going on across the world. Uh, that's a, a wonderful song legend, um, written by an American um, who, whose name escapes me all of a sudden. But I just, uh, was just, yeah, like, just a, a such a powerful figure in Mandela in every sort of sense of the word. Top man. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, lads. Um, your music's unreal. We, I think I speak for anyone listening to this in the hope that you bring out more material. Um, Thanks for having us on, but well done to you guys as well, because I know how much, as we were talking about earlier, I know how much hard work goes into our podcast and Paul as well, because uh, Paul started a podcast as well. I don't know if you want to give it a wee plug, Paul. Uh, it's cool, yeah. On you go, on you go, do it. Sale the jerseys, football one. Uh, football, it's called Sale the Jerseys. It's a football podcast about football tops and politics. There you go, check oh, it out. But, but guys, the, the terms of like, I know how much work goes into it and, and, and how much enjoyment I get out of podcasts. podcast. So, and that's what people have been needing during lockdown and, and get to get through these times as people using their kind of creativeness and whatnot and, uh, and, and putting material out there. So thanks for having us on, guys.
Thank you. Thank you very much.